Well, I'm really happy to be with you guys today. Um, I'm Martha Moore, and I serve in Germany uh, with Connection and with the International Mission Board. And Connection is the campus ministry similar to Challenge, and we have a partnership with you guys and with some churches in the 17.6 network like CIV and Seabreeze. And I actually served on staff with Neil. I have the privilege of saying that with Neil and Melinda for two years at USC before I went to Germany. Um, and I've been, to, I've been in Germany for about 15 years, 16 years, and Spain. So I speak Spanish as well. So if you speak Spanish, like Lupe, that name, I was like, oh, it sounds like she might speak Guadalupe. So, um, and I speak German, so we can speak German too. Um, I want to talk about something that's really, really dear to my heart, and I love it. We're talking about mentoring, how to pass on your life to others, Christ's life to others, and how to find that kind of a mentor that you, how to be mentored, how to mentor others, and how to find a mentor. So let me pray with you guys. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being um, in your family, being loved by you, dear God, um, of passing on uh, to others, Father, the, the wonderful life that we have in Christ. We just pray for clarity, pray for wisdom, pray for you to speak through your word today. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I think it would be good to get a few Bibles out. Let me go ahead and give a couple verses, if you guys could read a couple verses. Who could look up Isaiah 60, 22? If you just raise your hand and then you can look it up for later, just for later. Okay, great. Who could read Matthew 9, 36 through 38? Awesome. Um, who could read Proverbs 27, 17? Great. Who could read 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11? 2 Timothy 3, perfect. 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11. Who could read 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8? Perfect. Uh, who could read Philippians 4, 9? Philippians 4, 9. Perfect. Um, I think that, no, Deuteronomy. Got three verses in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 3.28. Ezra, could you get that? Deuteronomy 3.28. Deuteronomy 4.9. Great. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 and 7. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 and 7. Okay, Danielle. Um, and that's it. Okay. All right. How can we describe mentoring? I remember one time um, I was living in Vancouver, Canada, and a girl came and she was being discipled by me. And so she walked into the room and I was like, hey, how you doing, Karen? And she sits down she says, well, here's my Bible study. I finished that this week. And um, I did my scripture memory verse. It's um, da 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 And I uh, finished that other assignment they gave me last week. And I was like, okay, whoa, whoa, that's great. I thought maybe I'd just find out how you're doing first. So different people sometimes have different models or ideas of what does it mean to pass on Christ's life to other and to mentor people. Um, mentoring is a relational experience through which one person empowers another by sharing God-given resources. We're empowering others. Another definition by Richard Tyre is mentoring is a brain to pick, a shoulder to cry on, and a kick in the pants. So sometimes it's more brain to pick, sometimes it's more shoulder to cry on, and sometimes it's a kick in the pants. What is the power of one? What is the power of one life? What is the power of your life through Christ, the impact that you can make? God wants to multiply your life. Luther applied one verse of scripture to his life, Martin Luther, and it changed him, his friends, and his world. He had this revelation. He was in Rome, 
And he realized, wait a minute, the just will live by faith. Okay, all the rituals I'm doing and all the steps that I'm having to kneel on and get bloody knees to go up to this cathedral, what if to be just, to be righteous, to be good in God's eyes, it's just faith. It's not the list of all the to-do things. And that, that fact put him on this journey that he changed through the Reformation, a good part of Europe and definitely Germany. Translated the Bible, translated the New Testament. Um, so here's another example. Charles Steinmetz was a man that was a scientist, and he left Germany, and he went to the USA. And the debate was what's going to win out at that point with electric um, engineering. Would it be alternating current, um, or would it be uh, direct current? I'm sorry, I'm looking at some of my notes are in German. It's confusing me. Gleichstrom or the Wechselstrom? Yeah. Edison invented direct current. And some of you guys are history. You might go, no, 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 really, it's whatever. But anyway, what I have in my notes is Edison invented direct current. But he had been experimenting with alternating current. And there were generators all over the USA that were using the direct current kind of thing. But General Electric, back then, as a company, the company General Electric, they said, we want to make uh, alternating current the main system. And they knew this guy was experimenting. But what happened when he moved into the country as an immigrant, Steinmetz, went to GE and tried to get a job. And they, I guess, didn't know that much about him. He was a little guy. Maybe he hadn't done that much experimenting by then. And they turned him down for a job. But this other company, they believed in him, helped him with the lab, funded everything, and he was doing his research. So GE realized, oh my goodness, this guy, he's a genius. At some point, he had 200 patents on alternating current, alternating current. So the GE people went to him and said, we got to have Steinmetz in our company. No, thank you very much. You know, these people took me in when I was a new immigrant in the country. Thank you. I'm very happy here. It's like a family. They were like, what is What do you want? More money? What, what can we get him with? You know, they were like, we'll give you more money. You know, he's holding out. No, thank you very much. He's very loyal to this company. Thank you. I'm researching here. They're like, we'll give you a big lab. You have your own lab. You're going to have all these workers. You're going to have so much no, thank you very much. He turned it down. He was very, very loyal to this company that had believed in him when he was, you know, the little guy. So what happened? What did GE do? They racked their brain. They bought the company so that they could get Steinmetz on their team. That's what they did for one man. One person can make a major difference in the kingdom of God. What does Isaiah 60, 22 say? The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. Okay. A little one shall become a clan. And little, another translation is a little one become a thousand. You know, you feel like, I feel little. I feel like I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I feel little. I'm not super, super intelligent. You know, I can't make great things happen. I feel little. I don't have great organizational ability. I can't, like, be a CEO. I feel little. I came from a family background where things are kind of mixed up. I don't really know how to do relationships. White. Whatever you feel little about, God says, you can be multiplied. You can be a thousand. He says, I'm going to do it. It's not about you. It's not about your potential. He says, I'm going to do it through your life. So why do we have so few laborers? Why do we have so few people that are joining the missional, let's say, workforce to make a difference on their campus, to make a difference in their city, to make a difference overseas? Why are there so few people that want to sign up and be fully on? 
Um, I heard a, I heard a, an example today. Are you a chicken or um, a pig? Have you heard that illustration before? They talk about when you have breakfast, the chicken contributed something. It was involved. It contributed the egg for the breakfast. But the pig is like, this is life or death for me. This isn't a contribution. This is a sacrifice, you know? So who is willing to be a real laborer for God's kingdom to say, you know what? I'm willing to take the bullet for people. I love these people so much that I'm willing to lay my life down and die for them. And that's what Paul said. Um, Okay, so why are there so few laborers that can do this, that are really out there saying, I'm going to be the, the pig, so to speak? We must pray for laborers. Number one, we've got to pray for laborers. Matthew 9, 36 through 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Great. The harvest is plenteous. There's people out there. There's people in the neighborhood next to yours that would accept Christ if they had the right relationship with somebody and a team of people sharing God with them. There's people on your floor in your dormitory that would accept Christ if someone would befriend them, get to know them, and share Christ with them. But he says the labors are few. The problem is the labors. The problem is not that there aren't, that there's not a harvest field out there. Um, number two, why so few labors? There's lack of vision. People are not having a vision for the big global picture. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking of, of Germany and Europe, but even just your city or your campus, people are not having the vision. That's why there's laborers. Number three, Satan attacks. Satan comes in and tears down. He gets bad attitudes. He gets people involved in sin. He gets people discouraged, depressed. And they're like, I don't, I can't do it. I'm going to quit. They've got enemy thoughts in their head. And their perspective gets warped. They start believing half lies, half truths, and then the enemy attacks them, and they, they get out of the ministry. They get out of making a difference um, in, their, in their world. Number four, it takes work. It is work. You know, you say, well, I'm going to have to sacrifice, or I kind of have to stay up late to invest in people. It is. It's work. Number five, some ministries or churches are pursuing decisions. They want people to make a decision for Christ. But the 99% is what happens after the decision for Christ, the follow-up, helping people change their dirty diapers, so to speak. You know, people can have a baby, but you got dirty diapers for a couple of years after that. Who wants to have that? So that is, it's hard to make lifelong followers of Christ. And number six, we want immediate results. We want to say in, in and out, let's get it done, let's microwave. And people are not microwavable. People take time and investment. So that's why it's hard to get laborers. Let me tell you a parable of the newborn baby. Imagine a couple. I'm going to call them Fritz and Frida, kind of German names, you know, old German names, right, Jonathan? Uh, Fritz and Frida, and they've been trying to have a baby, you know. They've been, maybe they've been married a couple of years and kind of trying for a while. She gets pregnant. They're so excited. They're getting ready. They're getting the baby room ready, you know. Nine months rolls around. Whoosh, here comes that little baby girl. They're so excited but they are exhausted. You know, she's been walking around with like back pain and this big tummy, you know, goes through the whole labor process, you know, 14 hours, dehydrated. She comes out of the hospital. She's like exhausted. He's exhausted. You know, he's like, hey, I, I plan, I can take off work. We're gonna go on a Caribbean cruise for a week, honey, baby, we, we need this. We've been ready for this, but the baby's room is beautiful. I mean, she's got, 
amazing diapers that got cute little figurines on them. You know, they've got the changing table. They've got formulas, the very best organic formulas that they've, you know, got ready for the baby. And the cute bottles that are just the most modern rocket science it exactly fits their mouths so they're going to eat better. You know, it's all laid out. And they say, listen, little Sarah, let's just call the baby Sarah. Sarah, your mom and I, we love you very much. We're going to pray for you. You've got everything here for you. It's set up. We'll see you in a week, honey. And they come back from vacation. And what happens? <gasps> the baby has died. What happened to this baby? She didn't mean business. She wasn't in it for the long haul. She wasn't serious. Everything was right here for her. If she really wanted, she would have had that formula. If she really wanted to change the diapers, we put a lot of money in those diapers. And these pink walls are beautiful. She could have had a really, really great home here for a week. And she did, she did not appreciate what we put into her for nine months. Well, what happens in ministries when people are a baby believer? Do we say, hey, see you in a week? You know, see you next Sunday or see you at Challenge next week. And we hope they come. We wonder, I wonder why they didn't come to our community group or our life group. Or you, did somebody call them? I don't know. Well, I saw them on campus and I invited them. You know, they're babies. They need somebody to feed them. They don't need to say, here's the Bible. They didn't say, and I'll meet you today and let's read some scripture together and do it together. We need follow-up of baby believers. We need someone to hold their hand Help them when they fall into sin and they're like, I don't want to really talk to anybody about this. Someone to listen and help them wade through it, help them to pray through it. They need somebody to help them walk with God, learn how to pray, learn how to share their faith. So the peril of the newborn baby is we don't want someone to be a newborn Christian and leave them. We want to take care of them. So there's different kinds of mentors. Guys, you've got a list here so you can fill that in on your table. There's intensive and occasional mentors. Sometimes when people think of mentoring or discipling, they kind of have kind of one picture in their head. So this comes from a book that I thought would broaden your idea where you go, oh, actually, you know, I could be a mentor if you mean like that. So what are four kinds of intensive mentoring? It's a discipler. This is like, you know, your campus ministry staff or an, an older believer pouring into you, helping you learn how to read your Bible, helping you learn how to work through life's problems, a discipler. Number two is a spiritual guide. A spiritual guide might be somebody kind of like, Maybe like a Mike story this week, you know, as your speaker. And maybe let's say you see him again in like, you know, eight months at another conference and he gives you this conversation at dinner. You're like, this is just kind of gave me a little bit of shape, you know, change. So someone that may come in and out of your life, but it's very intensive kind of conversation, spiritual guide. Then somebody else could be a coach. I mean, literally a coach, like your soccer coach. They train you, they teach you things, they do a drill, you go, you play the game, and they say, okay, let's watch the films, or let's talk about what happened. Let's do it better, we're gonna train, we're gonna, a coach, they're very intensive. They help you work through how to be a better player. Um, I remember at USC, I got to go to, later on I couldn't, but I got to go to watch the girls basketball team and the girls volleyball team, and I watched them go through all the drills and stuff. You know, coaching hours and hours and hours every day so that on the weekends they could perform. And so it's a very intensive kind of, of mentoring. And then the last kind is, is for your parents. Your parents, you know, you're with your kids for maybe 18 years. And so that is really, it's a type of mentoring and investing. What are occasional mentors? They're teachers, like your teacher. You know, you, you have that teacher for one year or let's say maybe 10 months. You love him to death, love her to death, and that shaped your life. And you say, you know, I'll never feel about math the same again because this person invested in me and I was able to take 
good chemistry later because my math skills were better. You know, the teacher that invested in you. Um, it could be a sponsor. It could be like maybe even somebody that, for a scholarship. And you go to some banquet and you meet these sponsors that helped you get a scholarship so you were able to, you know, to flourish in school or in college. It could be a counselor. Maybe you met with somebody for counseling over the period of three or four months, you know, and then you never really kind of met with them again, but that kind of helped you over some, some you know, problems in your life. And another kind would be a historical mentor. And anyone can have a historical mentor. These are people, you listen to a podcast or you read a book or you hear about, an, uh, you read a uh, biography and you go, wow, go forth of China. Blow my mind, how amazing, you know? Or you read about Adoniram Judson or these you know, famous people that were missionaries and how they gave their life. And you go, Martin Luther, you know? They're a historical mentor. So what they did in their life is mentoring you by giving you ideas, I could have the faith of George Mueller. Is that possible? That took care of all those orphans in England? You know, so they're like mentoring you from a distance, you know, from, from the past. Okay. Um, Proverbs 27, 17 is an awesome verse. Yes? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Okay. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. What happens when iron sharpens iron? What can you imagine would happen? Sparks. Ooh, I don't like sparks. I don't like when people confront me, or I don't like when people kind of show me the rough edges I have. But because of that interaction in love, it it makes me sharper. You know, in this sense, sharp is a good thing. It makes it makes me a sharper person. It makes me a, a better leader, a, a more godly woman. Um, okay, what is three-way mentoring? Three-way mentoring. I love this idea. You need three kinds of people. A pace setter, they all start with P. A pace setter, a peer, and a pupil. A pace setter to go in front of you. And that could be somebody, you know, you've been a Christian for one month, they've been a Christian for one year. It doesn't mean like, oh, you know, I don't think I'm ready to be a pace setter. But someone a little bit in front of you. And it could be in one area. It might not be, you're a pace setter for me in every area of my life. It could be a pace setter for me in this one area. Maybe you're really good with budgeting and finances and tithing. I want to learn from you how to do that. I'm kind of new at this whole budgeting and tithing thing. And, you know, you give to missions and, you know, you're, you're 20 years old. I mean, how much money do you, do, do you make? Tell me how you do that. And they could pace set for you. They're, a little, they're running a little bit in front of you. Then a peer, someone alongside you. And then a pupil, someone kind of behind you that you're helping to, to encourage them. Okay, so you need three generations. Barnabas was, uh, was a, a pace setter for Saul and Paul. And then later on, they were like kind of on equal plane. But in, in, the, in the Bible, Barnabas was an encourager for Saul, and then he became Paul that, when he was just a baby, baby believer. Then Paul was with Timothy. We talked about the Paul-Timothy principle. Paul was a pace setter for Timothy, and he called him my son in the faith. That's mentioned several times where Paul would call people... You're my son in the faith. Um, let's read what would it look like to pace set? What kind of things would I pace set in? Let's read 2 Timothy 3, 10, and 11. And you may want to turn there as well, but someone's going to read it for us. 2 Timothy 3, 10, and 11. Yes. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? persecutions I endured. The Lord rescued me from all of them. Okay. Let's take that list again. I'm going to give you a question on the front end. Okay, guys? What kinds of things on this list could you learn sitting with me 
in a student cafeteria or sitting on the sofa, let's say, at you know, your apartment. What kind of things could you learn from me sitting on a sofa, okay, or a student cafeteria? Could you read that list one more time, please? Yeah. Uh, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, and what kinds of things happen to you. Which of those could you learn sitting in the student cafeteria? with some disciple or mentor. You know all about my what? How about teaching? Could you get a lot of teaching, you know, over a course of days and weeks with somebody sitting in a cafeteria? I think so. A lot of teaching. You say, man, let's go through this booklet or let's go through the Bible and let's do some inductive study. A lot of teaching, you know. You could get a lot, you know, you go to, you go to your challenge meeting, uh, you know, one evening, you get more teaching. So you could, get, you could get a lot of that in kind of a one-shot, right? What else might be something you could get from that kind of an interaction? Small group or one-on-one? -on -one? Purpose. Purpose? Okay. Um, how, would that, how would that work? Um, so, based, like, could you get inspired by the person you're having a conversation with? That's good. And then you find something that you're good at. So you could apply that to as a, a discipleship or a sharing the gospel, mm -hmm. some way, shape, or form. That's good. So you're like hearing, you know, they could share, hey, my life purpose is this, you know, and you're like, oh, that's a, that's a cool life purpose. I want to write that down, you know, whatever. But how many of these things, guys, patience? Are you going to see me being patient sitting in the cafeteria or, or talking with you on a sofa, discipling you? Or are you going to see me patience coming out in an interaction where somebody cuts me off in traffic? Yeah? Or if I tell you, how are you going to see suffering? When we're doing a mission trip or a vision trip and we're spending several days together and you realize that maybe, you know, I don't know, I had an injury or something on the soccer field. And then you see, how do I deal with suffering? So I'm like, bummer. You know? Or I go, you know what? I know God's got a better purpose for this, you know? Or how do you see me drive somebody down the hill like, okay, it's okay. We're going to go down to Emergency where We're going to drive down to Fresno or wherever it is, and we're going to take you in, which people did to me here before. I had back problems. I fell on ice here, and I was worried. And they, two people, they drove me down the hill, you know. And we're like, Melinda came, Melinda Walker. Uh, they're like, we're going to take care of you. We're going to check this out. We want to make sure it's okay. We're taking the emergency room, you know. They saw how I dealt with suffering, and I saw how they dealt with suffering. You know, like, hey, make the best of it, encouragement. It's okay, we missed the session, no biggie. Yeah, let's do this together, you know? So the kind of things you see life on life is really where you are gonna have to see this. You cannot see this at a worship service. You're not gonna see much of this sitting in, on the sofa. It's gonna have to be, yeah, sofa's good, and talking is good in the cafeteria, but it's gonna be doing life together. Let's go out with pizza, or let's go in the dorm and share our faith, or let's, let's go run copies together as we're going and talking and doing things together. Let's go run some copies to help you know, the ministry out for this weekend, or this week here at the conference. It's doing life with people. And when people invite you to do life with them, you need to take advantage of that. Don't take that lightly, like, oh, they're just running to the grocery. Well, no, I want to have, like, their teaching. You realize, oh, my gosh, I get into their grocery shopping time. And the stuff that happens, you know, as you're going, that's the great time. And here's another tip. If you want to get around a mentor and they're busy, you say, uh, and I just did this to Melinda the other day. 
It was Saturday. I knew she had to get ready to leave for Hume Lake on Sunday morning. I said, now, Melinda, I really want to get some time with you today. I know you have a ton of stuff to do. I'm really, like, great. If you just want to, like, go to the store, I'll just, could I just, like, come with you? Could I help you with something? Could I, you know, do something around the house? You know, I, I offered. So you want to offer even, because busy people, they still need stuff done. They need somebody to take them to the airport, you know? That's how my dad, he got around some great men of God, like Tozer, by taking them to the train station up in Chicago. Like, uh, I'll take them to the train station. And Dawson Trotman, he's like, uh, I can take you by car to Dallas. And then he had to go, hey, can I borrow your car? He didn't even have a car. He just said, yeah, I'll get you to the car to Dallas. Got around the founder of the Navigators because he volunteered to, you know, make things happen and spend time with someone. So it's not always going to be, you know, convenient time, but we can make time for those kind of people. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8 is a great verse. Who can read that, please? Uh, but we were gentle in the midst of you, as when a nurse cherished her own children, even so, being affectionately uh, desirous of you, we were well pleased to impart unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were become uh, very dear to us. Read one more verse. Uh, to verse nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, for ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, working night and day, that we might not burden any of you, we preach unto you the gospel of God. Okay, thank you. He's talking about night and day. He was working, he's, you know, trying to make a, make a living, you know, during the day, and then at night he's spending time with them. This was a guy that was sacrificing to spend time investing in people. Um, Signs Paul was in a place for three years, sometimes he's just there for a couple weeks. But he was investing in people and, of course, teammates that he traveled with long term. So what did he say? He said, I'm like a mom, like with a nursing baby. How is, you've seen, do you have any, like, young babies around your church or something? You see somebody like, oh, you know, everybody, you know, like, you want to hold her? You want to hold her? And you're kind of like, oh, you know, you're just kind of, you're just kind of like, Okay, oh, I've got to hold the head a certain way. You know, very tender. You know, the mom's nursing the baby, very aware, the sleep patterns, you know, dresses it very carefully. A nursing mother, very, very delicate and gentle. So we're having conversations with people where you're like, oh, I can tell this is a moment they need just to unload and they need a caring heart to listen to them. There's sometimes it's like a dad kind of admonishing them like, hey, when you take out that car, you need to gas it up. Last night, your mom, you came home and your mom had to take the car this morning and it wasn't gassed up. Come on, come on, buddy. You know, you're like, oh, leave it to dad. He's got to kind of, you know, (laughs) admonish me. So we need that. We need the encouragement in a nice way. And sometimes we need the the kick in the pants, right? We need somebody to kind of, to tell us the hard stuff and to to do the tough love. You know, I've had people that they don't tough love me, and I'm not the better for it. You're like, well, how would I know? I have a blind spot, because that's why we call it a blind spot. So we need to be both. That's what Paul's saying, to be both. Um, The peer that stands beside me was like Silas and Paul in jail together, and they were traveling. And then the pupil, Paul said, you're my son, Philippians 4, 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay. This is kind of a multi-approach. It's like 
I'm hearing, it's oral learning, I'm visual learner, you know, I've seen stuff in you, I've heard stuff from you. It's similar to that, what we read before, right, 2 Timothy um, 3. So he says, what you've seen and heard and received and learned from me, you know, however I could get it in your life, you know, teaching, modeling, you know, formal instruction, informal, I want to pass that on to a pupil, to someone that's, that's like my son in the faith or daughter in the faith. Okay, I want to stop for a second and see if you guys have some questions or feedback before we move on, because this might be a good point to just hear. Yes? The peer. I'm sorry, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of buzzing through that. The peer is somebody like an accountability, good question, like your accountability partner that you go, you know what, I wouldn't say you're further along than me in my faith, and I wouldn't say I'm further along with you, but you know, maybe you're really steady on your quiet time. I just need somebody to help me keep accountable for my quiet time. So could you ask me about that? Or let's have our quiet time together once a week and share what we're learning. But it's kind of a peer thing, you know, or I really want to do better at scripture memory and you want to be better at scripture memory. Let's do this together. You know, let's be accountability partners is sometimes how people say that. So they're kind of that peer mentoring. Just like peer mentoring when you think of it in college, you know, that somebody is like, they're not this rocket scientists and study habits, but they are like, hey, I can sit down with you for an hour and I can tell you how I kind of approach this, this particu particular engineering course. And you're like, yeah, tell me how you approach this engineering course. You know, that kind of thing. So they're a peer mentor. Yes. Oh, was that a question? No. Yeah, I have a question yeah. actually. Um, <laughs> so if you're trying to invest in someone, um, Paul was talking about night and day trying to help them, but you can't always do that. Like sometimes it's really draining, especially when it's like, like, when do you know when to stop so that you're not being negatively affected where you're not growing and you're too exhausted? You mean, you mean if you're invest, if you're over-investing, you're getting burned out by somebody yeah, that... if you're getting burned out. You mean, would it be like if they're too needy or what could be like a scenario for that? Help me. I mean, I could kind of imagine, but tell me... Like, if you're doing college and then so you're in college and the person wants to Skype you like two times a week but then you're also investing in people on campus and so you're you know the person that you're Skyping has a lot of issues and you end up like staying up late for two hours later than you wanted to but then the next day you have to like go to lunch with people and invest in them and then you're just investing everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like how does that? Um. I think one of the things I'd say about that is having a mentor for you that you could go to and say, okay, these are the girls I'm investing in. How do, what does that look, what, how does my week look like for you? I got work, tell me, is this a good investment? I think that would be how that person, it's, it's so specific that person could give you better feedback. You know, to say, if you're Skyping with that girl back in your youth group back home, maybe you should try to help them find somebody locally the next time you go home, or maybe you can't, you know? Or to, to kind of help you be strategic with that, so. Um, I think that somebody closer to you could help you figure that out, you know, um, and I would kind of rely on them, especially if I'm a part of a campus ministry, that it could be I'm thinking, hey, I thought this was really great. I've got like these five girls in my dorm, and they say, oh, but really, we really need somebody to Skype this freshman, or Skype, um, disciple this, this freshman over here and spend time with her. So you may not see that bigger picture, but whoever I'm in ministry with, they might see the bigger picture, and they could say, it would really help if you could be over here you know, or include that, or actually two of those girls you're spending time with, I don't really see them being hungry. And maybe you're like, oh no, I'm sure they're hungry. And then, you know, you kind of start thinking, uh, 
yeah, I guess they're nice, but, you know, to kind of help you be strategic that way. I don't know if that kind of helps. Another question or clarification. One thing that Neil mentioned quite a bit is that Jesus loves everyone, helped a lot of people, but only trained a few. It's really good. That's really good. Yeah, thank you, Enoch. Did you guys get that? Love all, serve some or help some, train a few. So it's not like, you know, would you ever go out for coffee with this person? Sure, I go out. I mean, I go out for coffee. I mean, I love people, sit down. What's happening in your dating relationship? Good to hear. I mean, I'm going to pray for you. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to disciple them long term. Serve some people. I can't help everybody with their moves. You know, by the time people move, there's just no more Saturdays left. Or, you know, whatever it could be with, you know, like even with, you know, your some essay. Could you critique my essay? Could you read it and check my grammar and stuff? I can serve some people, but I maybe wouldn't be able to help every person that comes to me, just in general, you know, for anything. But I can only train a few. So there's some people I'm going to love on them or I'll serve them in some way, spiritually or just practically, but only a few people I'm going to actually be able to train. So I think sometimes people also confuse discipling means, I guess I'm like a counselor, but I never got training for that. And I try to also separate, there's a lot of counseling that you do, you know, as you hear people's life and problems, but you got to be careful that you kind of go, uh, maybe that's something that you really do need someone that's got more experience in that area. So I can train you. I don't know, like if you said, if somebody's very draining for you, I think that's a signal. If somebody's very draining for me, it's like, I think they're into problems and areas that it, if I'm feeling that weighted down, it's beyond me. I really need to, st to help train them in the areas that, I'm, that I can have more you know, success in. Okay, well, let's move on. Let's discover Jesus' private ministry. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are for you. Therefore, pray. Pray for laborers, Jesus said. Why did Jesus come to earth, guys? Why did, let's just open group here. Why did Jesus come to earth? <coughs> to die for our sins. Very good. What else? Anything else? Why did Jesus come to earth? To make disciples. To make disciples. What else? To proclaim the coming of the kingdom. Okay, good. To say the kingdom is coming. Ooh, what else? I would say I would say the two main things and proclaiming the kingdom would, would be a part of like the the training, the training he was doing. He came to die for our sins. If he never died, if he just taught and trained people there would be no salvation. There would be no blood sacrifice. There would be no forgiveness of sins. He had to die, bury, and be rose again, yeah, from the grave for our sins. But secondly, he came to train up a band of men and women to carry this message. And as you said, the message is, you know, about the kingdom is coming, and so get ready in heaven, and, you know, there's more involved in that. But he had to train people to carry this message because if he died and people sort of forgot about it and they didn't witness that he rose again, and there was no message behind this other than just a martyr who died and, and then rose again, they would, not have, they would not have what it means to know God and follow God. So he had to die for our sins and train up a band of men. And he had a, he had a vital public ministry. So people saw him do stuff. What are the things that people saw him publicly do? Heal people, Heal people? good. What else? Teach, Teach? absolutely. Small group, large group teaching, yeah. 
Sermon on the Mount, you know, go ahead. Serve. Serve. Um, yes. What else? The Beatitudes or something like the blessed, the blessed, the, the Beatitudes? Yeah. And that was, that's really, Sermon on the Mount, it's really a preaching, right? You know, he's preaching to masses. He's teaching some in smaller groups, you know, you know, as he's walking and then people kind of followed him. And miracles, right? He raised people from the dead. So we saw preaching, teaching. I would say the main four things are preaching, teaching, healing, and miracles. And his service was in that context sometimes of, you heal me, that served me, you know, or the woman at the well. Um, we're going to get to that. So healing, preaching, teaching, and miracles is this public ministry. But let's talk about the private ministry. Before we list that, let's see where he got it from. You have to understand back then there was no New Testament. But he knew the law. He had studied the law. So the, let's go to the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. Let's go to Deuteronomy and find out how he learned to have a world-changing private ministry. Let's start with his focus. He learned focus from Deuteronomy 3.28. Okay? Um, so charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. For he shall go over at the head of his people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. Okay. So God told Moses, you need to charge, you need to command, you need to give an impetus, an empowering to Joshua that he needs to go out. We need to, he's like, you know, Moses, there's a million people here. I want you to focus on Joshua. There's a lot of people you could spend time with in these millions of people. There's 12 tribes of Israel, but you need to focus on Joshua because you're going to be dying. You're going to be caught up, and I need you to focus on this one man that you're going to train to hand things over to. So a lot of times what I say to people that are on staff with me or interns, you can call me at 3 in the morning, but not every, this, is your, this is where you were talking about maybe later, earlier. I can't, give every, I can't train everybody. But the people, if they know I'm investing you, I'm training you, you can get me at three in the morning. Well, usually my phone's on silent. But yeah, but if it were on, you, it's okay for you to call me then. You know, it's okay that you go. I have to get time with you today. Then I'm like, okay, we're gonna work this out. You got time with me today. You know, you call me, I pick up the phone, because you're on my front end of I'm focusing on you. Now, people down the area, I might get back to him in a few hours, like, oh, I'm sorry I missed your call, you know, hey, or I text you, hey, I'm sorry, I'm kind of busy right now, I'm in a meeting, you know. So those people that I'm not training, I'm not focusing on them. I can't focus on everybody, or I would burn out. Okay, number two, he learned multiplication principles, Deuteronomy 4.9, Deuteronomy 4.9, yes. Okay, only be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Okay, the stuff you've learned, the biblical message is, you know what, you're thinking generationally. You're not just thinking about, hey, I need to pass this on to the next generation. Think of spiritual children, not just physical children, okay? I need to pass on the next generation in such a way that they're capable of passing it on to my grandkids, my spiritual grandkids. So they need to really get the concept of witnessing. There's a statement by Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks, if you want to believe, if you want people to bleed, you have to hemorrhage. It's kind of like a, wow, is that like a hospital show or doctor show? But it's, it's saying, if you want people to bleed, if you want them to 
exude or really get an idea, you have to overdo it. You know, so people are thinking, good grief, it seems like Martha's talking about sharing her faith again. I guess you just share your faith all the time. I'm like, I really don't. But I try to, whenever I do, I try to let that message out because I really want you to get it. So that you think, I guess she does it all the time, every day. It's like, I really don't. But if I, have, if I have a story to tell, I'm going to make sure it comes out, hoping that you'll get a little bit of it, that you'll, that you'll bleed if I hemorrhage, if I just overdo the message. Okay, so you're to think of not just the generation after you, but who, and they're going to pass it on, and they're going to pass it on. Um, number three, time. Jesus learned from the Old Testament, he learned the principle of time and venturing. Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. Uh, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Okay. <coughs> There's a lot of time invested. I just babysat my, I have two nieces and nephews. Darling, ask me about them later, in Florida. And I babysat them for about four and a half days. Oh my goodness. <coughs> it's one thing to babysit them for one night. It's another thing to be like their second mom for four or five days. Everything. Get them, get loaded up in the van, kids. You know, don't forget this. Put your shoes on. I mean, all this time, all this instruction, getting them ready for bed. Will you tuck me in? Do it. Did you brush your teeth? You know? So he's saying, when you go to bed, you need to talk about these things. When you're waking up, oh, they're getting up for breakfast. I've got their breakfast ready. What am I going to talk about at the table? It's saying over time, it can't just be a once a week thing. It can't be, I disciple you and we see each other once a week. It's got to be time. The best, the best time is really if you're living with people. Boy, that's a great mentoring. People that live with you or when I've had an intern live with me, they see the good, the bad, and the ugly. But boy, they get concepts that they would never, they're like, I never, I mean, I know... I knew you worked hard, and I sort of knew you did this and this, but I never really sort of got what you did until I lived with you, Martha. You know, because they just see the day in and day out. Or maybe they would think all I did was work, and they were like, we sat there and we watched these, you know, movie series together. And they were like, oh, you just like sit. I'm like, no, I shut down. I can't do, you know, I don't do emails all day. I mean, I got to go just have some fun and popcorn, you know? So they would see over time. So we need to invest in people over time. What did Jesus do? He lived with a band of 12 men and some women that came around for three years. It was a three-year, very intensive, 24-7 training program. That's why they saw him get up early in the morning. They're like, wait, where's Jesus? He's already up? Like, where? Oh, he's up. what is he doing? He's, is he praying? What? Okay, let's have breakfast. Like, what is he? Oh, my God. When, how long have you been up, Jesus? You know, they saw him over time, so they caught these principles of prayer, not just taught. Oh, let me give you a lesson on prayer. Let's do. He, they caught it from him, his heart for prayer. So look at Jesus' first day of ministry, John 1, 29 and following. And I'm not, I'm not going to read it right now, but what happened was Jesus, he got with, like, one guy. Then he got with, like, another guy. And then they said, hey, you know, my brother, I'm going to go bring him in. The next day, it's like two guys. I mean, it's not like this, now I will start my ministry. I will preach to 5,000. He was just like, hey, do you guys want to come home and like, you know, see where I live? Two guys the first day. Very slow start. He knew I've got to get my band of faithful men around. And then that's what he continued to build on for three years. And even with that, one of them betrayed him. 
You know, think of that. You, you just poured your lifeblood into this person and one of them betrayed him. But still, you got 11. You know, you got 11 saints out of it and one devil. So there you go. Um, so what does Jesus do in these early days of ministry? He's doing wind. Wind, W-I-N-D is kind of like the acronym. Witnessing. This is the private ministry. He's witnessing to, like, Nathaniel. Intercession is a private ministry. They're seeing him pray for others. Nurturing and discipling. So wind, witnessing, intercession, nurturing, and discipling. Nurturing would be like, you know, kind of like um, a conversation that he had with someone when he healed them, but then he said, you know, your sins are forgiven. You know, it's like nurturing them in their faith and talking to them, not just healing them or not just saving the woman from being stoned. But he said, you know what? Don't go sin anymore. You know, obviously he had other conversations like that, but we have a few snippets of these kind of nurturing conversations that he had. Uh, and then the more intense discipling the three years with, with the 12. Okay. So what could happen? I know this always is like, if I were to disciple someone, I don't know what to do. And even though I've said life on life, there is a point at which it can be helpful to be systematic, to kind of go, okay, we're going to kind of sit down together. What would we sort of do? And the five Ps have really helped me. And I used to write it down. I'd literally write down on these five Ps. This is what we talked about for our last time. This is what we're going to do the next time we meet for the, for the more structured part of it. It's principles, progress, problems, prayer, and practicum. And then we'll, we'll talk about that for a second. Principles, progress, problems, prayer, and practicum. So let's say if we had an hour and 15 minutes, we were meeting in the cafeteria, there might be some principles that we're already doing in, uh, let's say, in our community group or our life group or our small group, and maybe there's some, or like a ministry team, there's some principles. And so I might say, hey, let's deepen that. You know, how did you do on your Bible study this week? You know, tell me more of what you learned in, in your inductive Bible study. Or tell me more what you learned in that group study that we're doing together. What, what do you think about those principles? How are you able to apply that in your life? So we, we've got some systematic principles. And progress is how are you doing on stuff that you're accountable for? You know, that there's a saying, people, you have to inspect what you expect. Like if somebody says, you know, I'm really dealing with unforgiveness. I need to make a phone call. So next time I see them, I'm like, hey, so how did it go with that phone call? You go, oh, you're inspecting them to see if they measure up. Well, I'm befriending them. I mean, I ex if they tell me they're going to do it, I'm like, how did it go? What happened? We prayed, you know, did the phone call go okay? You know, do we still need to pray? Or, you know, so I'm going to help them in, in progressing. Or if there's an assignment, I'm going to say, so, okay, let's do, we said we were going to do scripture memory verse, let's do it. And we do it together. It's not just, that's your assignment. I don't have any assignment. Whatever they're doing, I'm doing, right? So I don't assign anything that we're not doing together. Um, and then problems. Obviously, even if I have, don't say, do you have a problem? You know, I, I mean, stuff comes up. They're like, you can't believe what happened to me this week. What happened? Oh, my gosh, yeah. So things come, when we tend to share our hearts with people, and so problems come up. Or if I ask them, if it hasn't come up, I go, hey, how can I pray for you today? Or how can I be praying for you this week? And they'll go, you know, my scholarship money might not come in next semester, and I might have to drop out a semester. I'm not, you know, it's going to come up, usually a problem that's, that they're dealing with. Um, prayer, we pray together. We're, it's a bonding time. I want to pray. Sometimes I pray with the people 
right at the beginning. Because, again, like I mentioned, my friend Karen that sat down, okay, well, here's my assignment. I did this, 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 and I'm like, whoa, whoa. It's not like a... It's not like a class that you come in and you drop your paper, you know, at the front, you know, your assignment, you get your nice staple on it. You know, this is a relationship. So sometimes I'll even pray with the people. It doesn't, it's not have to be in this order, but these are kind of the ingredients that would be good to be having with a person. And people learn prayer when they pray with you. They learn prayer. They learn as you, as you say, I think I'm going to open the Psalms and pray some of these Psalms for you or whatever it is. They learn to pray the prayers of Paul when they hear you quoting the prayers of Paul. So they learn as you go. And then practicum is practical stuff. And you're serving a minister. You say, hey, you know, we're having that cleanup day at the church before Easter. Why don't we do that together? Why don't we go help over at Seabreeze at that cleanup day? And, you know, they're learning to serve because they see you serving. Or you say, you know, I know you've been struggling with the area of sharing your faith. What about we think of a couple of your friends and what would they like and let's oh they like the movies let's go see this new premiere that's coming out and that i could meet them and that's like a practical project that you go well that's part of discipling yeah i think of practical ways you know or if somebody says um like i said i'm struggling with unforgiveness you could say well let's see why don't we read a book together you know well that would be less practical that's more like principles let's read a book together on forgiveness um, serving together, witnessing together. Um, you know, our campus ministry director, they've got a couple kids. They seem really stressed. Why don't we get a couple more people? And I feel like our group really needs to learn encouragement. We're not really good at encouragement. Let's get a couple people and let's make them have a date night and we'll babysit the kids and we'll clean the apartment while they're gone. You know, and that'll be like our little practical project together. So you can you can find these fun things to do. Obviously, number five is outside the one hour and I'm just making that up, but one hour and fifteen minutes. That is not happening in the cafeteria or on the sofa. This is the outside time. So that's the five P's. All right. Lastly, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and ask again before we get into finding a mentor. What what comes to mind, or what would help to clarify? What questions do you guys have? <coughs> It made sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. The principles. Principles is generally doing something. Usually, in, in in any kind of Christian ministry, there's content. There's a Bible study, so that's the principles. But sometimes it could be we're going through. Let's say we're going through the Gospel of John, and somebody says, "Hey, you know, I have this question." I am not really sure how to handle some, some dating stuff going on in my life right now. And you're like, well, the principles we're working through right now is the Gospel of John, and dating doesn't come up in the Gospel of John. So I might be adding another principle beside that that's based on a need or a problem or something that's coming up. And I'll say, you know, let's take a, week, let's take a break from John for a week. Um, I've got some verses on dating. I'd like you to look that up and then come back and tell me what you think God says about relationships. You know, and let's talk about that. So the principles could be a book you're reading or a Bible study that you're doing, or it could be even throwing in something. The only thing I would watch out for, again, as a counselor, it's not, so what's the thing you want to learn this week? And then, you know, I'm like a slot machine. I want to learn about finances. I want to learn about dating. I want to learn about, um, you know, whatever. And it, it, you know, I'm not like a slot machine that you just, you know, put in the coin and something comes out. So I'm not so that we have kind of some continuity. 
Because if you have continuity in your teaching, eventually some of those things will come up. That you're like, you know, actually, like four lessons later, we're talking about witnessing. So we'll, we'll go ahead and go with that, you know. So it, it just, it could be, if you have, if you have like a Bible study booklet or a discipleship booklet or some course that you're going through as a ministry team or something, some of those things are coming out. But it could also be the principles that someone just says, I can't sleep at night. I'm worried sick. Whoa, whoa. Maybe we need to do a word study on fear, you know? And let's talk about that this today or next time. So those could be principles as well. Good question. <clears throat> And what so else? this is the, like, would be like a week time, like once a week, and then the other time is like the life on life. Right, exactly. I mean, assuming you have a really, really busy schedule, you know, then you could say, hey, I'm discipling three guys, and I meet with each of them, maybe one-on-one or maybe in a small group, for an hour, hour and a half each week. But then we do some stuff together in practical ministry, especially if you're, if you're leading a Bible study or community group together. You know, you're, some of that's involved. Like, hey, let's put on this, you know, this grill party. We don't call that this German. Uh, barbecue. Let's put on this barbecue. So you're like, we'll organize it. You know, me and my three guys will organize the barbecue. And so you're learning character as you're doing those kind of practical things and inviting your non-believing friends and... So it, that becomes a project that you're doing some of that life on life. Yes, Ezra. Uh, how did work with students like overseas in Spain and Germany? Do you find a lot of these uh, uh, processes that can be the same? Do you, do you have to maybe emphasize certain parts over others? Mm -hmm. How has that experience been? That's good. Um, in Spain, I found that people are less systematic because it's a very fluid culture, and they're not time conscious. So I might wait for an hour for somebody to show up. Or I had so much many more times than I would in Germany where I didn't do my assignment. I didn't do my Bible study, you know. But you get that in the States, too. I mean, I had a guy that I got to disciple who was an exchange student from America in Spain. He said, yeah, my campus minister in Wyoming, yeah, he wanted us to do a Bible study during the week and then come with it already done. Ha, I'm a student. I don't have time for that. And he was arrogant and not hungry for God, and being in Spain got him hungry. And so then he, now actually he leads a campus ministry in San Luis Obispo. <laughs> yeah, but he was not there when he was a, a student, you know, so I mean it can happen anywhere. But th they tend to be less structured, um, but of course very relational, so the life on life, you know, but it was, it was hard to get schedules with people, and they were not more one-on-one, -on -one. they were more group. So I would say, you know, there's, because uh, I misunderstood that, and so I was like, it's really hard to get one-on-one -on -one appointments with people. Yeah, but you say like 10 of us are going to get together. I'm there. And so um, uh, a guy that actually, again, your pupils, I'm saying people don't think it's like, oh, you're beneath me. Those people mentor me. You know, they tell me big-time advice, and I take it from them. I mean, they win, they win the right to give me advice too. And one of them said, Martha, cambiar el chip, change the chip, like your computer chip in your head. We in Spain, and, this is, and we're speaking Spanish, Abraham, he said, we in Spain, if you're in the group, you're in. Don't think like people don't like you as much or they're not available because they're not doing one-on-one. -on -one. If you're in the group with them, you're in. But you're thinking, oh, if I can't get one-on-one -on -one time with you, I don't think we're like really bonded. They're like, no, if you're in the group, you're bonded. So it was just interesting to hear that kind of cultural thing, how that affected. Um, 
I mean, I, I tried everything, and I still haven't tried enough. We did, um, in Spain, like in witnessing, we would use the solarium surveys more. I haven't done that as much in Germany, you know, but the solarium surveys, which are pictures, it's like 50 pictures, you go in on campus and do a survey. In Germany, I, I, t I feel like people tend to do more the verbal, intellectual survey, what do you think about this, ABC or whatever, you know. But in Spain, I, I definitely, plus in southern Spain, I was in Seville, you'd sit on the grass, I mean, the weather was different, so you could just sit down with some cards and these pictures look like a psychology, you know, experiment or something, and people just kind of have more time for those kind of talks. So there's definitely cultural things that can affect the discipleship process. But you still get there. Another question? Yeah, I was just thinking like a lot of these things like they can be integrated in your own life. Like I remember, you know, like at first I was reaching out to guys after hardest time and putting, hey, let's sit down and have a talk. And it wasn't until a couple months later I realized like, well, guys usually don't like to just meet up one on one and talk. Mm -hmm. They like to do things together. So it makes sense like, hey, let's go play ball together, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, it's immediate yes, and then after you play ball, you know, we go cool down or whatever, you know, then there's the time to say, hey man, like, how, how's everything going in your life right now? You That's know? good. That's and, good. And that works so much better than trying to, like, text him or call him, like, hey, like, we need to Thank you. Thank you for saying that, Enoch. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Guys, guys are wired differently than women. What else? Question, idea. Yeah, huh? You said you meant. Okay, I'm glad you asked that. I'm glad you asked that. Um, I really think women are the best people to mentor gals and men with men. With men. Yeah. Um, in my case, I'm not married. I'm in Germany, and I don't have a partner. So what did I do? I raised up a couple of guys, and then they discipled their other guys. Yeah. So as a woman, I have a lot to share, but there's some issues I can't deal with a guy. And so what I also encourage, if there is another guy around, then maybe that guy, again, you can have, you learn different things from different people. That guy can ask him questions about pornography. I'm not asking those questions, you know, or talk to him about some more intimate kind of things. But I can definitely train him in how to lead a Bible study, because maybe I'm better at that, you know. And so, so it's dependent on the situation, and you have to also understand I'm a little bit older than if you were like, hey, I'm a senior and I'm mentoring this, you know, this freshman girl, you know, he's a guy, I'd be like, oh, I don't think so, you know, was but, but being older, that also helped as well. So I had some leverage and I had some experience um, just based on having done some stuff before. And I wouldn't try to encourage them to have some cross training, you know, that's a good, that's a very good point. Yeah, normally I don't recommend guys mentoring girls. But there, I mean, there's even your campus minister where you as a female want to maybe go to a male campus minister or maybe a woman campus minister is a guy and you go, I really want to hear Erin Gillen's perspective, you know? And I, I want to get some, you know, I want to get some ideas from her and pick her brain or whatever. But it might not be that, she, you know, she'd be mentoring you every week. But, you know, definitely we want to, we want to learn from each other. But, but that more intimate kind of life on life long term is usually a guy with a guy and a girl with a girl. Yeah. Okay, let me go over these last few things here. And this is just really short, but finding a mentor. Because I know a lot of times it's like, you know, I feel kind of lost. I'm kind of out there. I'm trying to, I want to invest in others. I want to pour my life into others. I want to be like focused and multiplying. But I need somebody to pour into me. How do I do this? I mean, you just walk up to someone, hi, can you be my mentor? I don't even know if I want him to be my mentor. 
first I would say you experiment. Like you just get together with somebody one time just for coffee or get together, you know, for, like I said, say, hey, do you guys need some help in your yard work? I'd love to come over, you know, be available, be available to this person and just get around them and kind of check out, you know, does, do our personalities kind of sync a little bit, you know? Pray for a mentor. Are you accountable? Are you hungry spiritually? And the acronym is F-A-I-T-H, faith or fat. Are you fat? Are you faithful, available, and teachable? 2 Timothy 2.2, the things that you've learned of me among many witnesses, entrust or commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So faithful men who can teach others also. Faithful, available, and teachable. Some people are really faithful if they have an assignment. They're really teachable. And they hear it, they go, I'm really taking that to heart. I'm going to change that next week. But they're not available. They just have no time. So it's nothing against them. It's like, I don't really think I can disciple them, you know. So I want to also be that kind of person. I want to be a faithful person. I want to be available. And I want to be teachable. I don't want to be like, every time they give me a suggestion, I go, well, yes, but, you know, well, yes, but, and they're kind of like, you know, I don't think you want to be mentored. And I've done this before. I don't think you want to be mentored by me. I mean, I, I don't want to have a fight, you know. I think you're great, but you don't really want to be mentored by me because I feel like I'm, everything I say, you know, you kind of know better, you know, and then they might go, you're right, or they might go, no, 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 I really want to learn. I really want to learn. I'm like, well, okay, I, I, need, I need you to go with me. I need to, you know, I'm not, I don't know everything, but... I need you to be teachable. So um, look, number two, look for a person who has to strengthen an area of your need. Where do you need mentoring? What are your weaknesses? What is it you want to learn in particular? You know, you want to learn witnessing. You want to learn people skills. You want to learn how to throw a party. You want to learn organization of your time. So you might, again, you might have somebody mentor you in just one specific area. Remember those occasional mentors? It doesn't mean you do my whole life, you know. And it could just be for a season. Number three, be available. Get into the path of great men and women of God. Like this week is a great opportunity to go, hey, can I have breakfast with you? Or could my whole community group, could we have breakfast with you? You know, get in the path of these kind of people. And be available. Take the initiative. Number four is, is basically on the ask for time with them. Take the initiative. Be specific on what you'd like to learn and offer to serve them. I know when I was in seminary, there was this amazing missionary and her husband, they were in Plano, and I was in Fort Worth, Texas. And Plano, no, not Plano, excuse me, Denton. Denton was like an hour away. And I'm like, I am very busy, and I'm going to go to Denton. I want to spend some time with Phyllis Robertson. And uh, they had been serving in China and several other countries. And I was like, I want to spend some time with Phyllis. And my mom said, don't just go. When do you have time? And just let her pour into you. You say, what do you need help with? And she's like, really? We need help working on our database and getting some names and some new email addresses and stuff and addresses in our database. And I'm like, okay. So I sat down in their home office. I worked on stuff and worked on stuff. And then she said, okay, Martha, I think you've done enough. Now let's go get a donut and coffee and let's go. You know. But I made sure that I spent time. How can I serve you? Not just I want to take from you. And people will be more available that way. Um, but ask for time with them and be thinking ahead of a couple things you do want to learn because they're probably going to think, what particular did you want to learn from me? Um, and number five, mentors are also available from a distance, like we talked about. Books, podcasts, these can be historic mentors, you know, dead or alive, that I can learn so much from their lives and their teaching. Um, we've got, you know, Discipleship Tape Library. There's a, I think it's called DiscipleshipLibrary.com. You know what it's called? DiscipleshipLibrary.com. 
there's like about 12,000 messages. You know, and you could ask your campus ministry guy or gal, what would be like the top five speakers that are in the discipleship library that you think I should start listening to some of their? I know a guy last summer, he was in China. He didn't know if he could bring in a Bible. So he downloaded 80 messages by Max Barnett, this guy in Florida. Because he's like, I don't know if I have a Bible, but I can have podcasts, I guess. So he downloaded 80 messages from Discipleship Tape Library from Max Barnett. So he met Max at the Life Impact Conference, which was in, uh, in Colorado in January. And he's like, oh, I met my mentor. He was already his mentor because he's listened to 80 messages by Max. Can you believe? So we have a great opportunity to do that because of technology these days. Okay. I'm about done. Do you have any other questions? If not, we'll get on to dinner, guys. Thanks so much. God bless you.